but I think it has to start with, are we treating our customers and employees the right way so that we earn the right to those positive stories? Buyer behavior isn't the same, and the old sales funnel is no longer relevant. So Square 2 Marketing is smashing the funnel and encouraging businesses to think differently about their approach to marketing, sales, customer service, and revenue generation. Join us for season one of Smash the Funnel, the podcast. With our amazing lineup of industry experts, we'll introduce you to the new cyclonic buyer journey, and we'll provide insights and tips on how to optimize your business's approach to sales and marketing. And now for your host, Mike Lieberman, CEO and Chief Revenue Scientist at Square2 Marketing. Hey everybody, Mike Lieberman, CEO and Chief Revenue Scientist at Square2 Marketing and host of Smash the Funnel, the podcast. Welcome to episode nine, Delivery, How to Optimize Customer Service to Drive Revenue. I am thrilled to have with me today, Jean Bliss. She's president uh, customer Bliss, and she's author of a brand new book called Would You Do That to Your Mother? <laughs> the Make Mom Proud Standard for How to Treat Your Customers. So welcome to episode nine and welcome Jean to the show. We'll talk to Jean in a minute. In the last episode, if you remember, we talked to Matt Sunshine. Matt is the managing partner at Leeds G2 and the Center for Sales Strategy, and he helped us understand how to get people to make that final decision, and his insights were fantastic. In fact, we even picked up a couple of his pointers for our own sales process. So I hope you guys enjoyed the last episode that focused on the decision part of the cyclonic buyer journey. So we're going to talk to Gene a little bit um, about uh, customer service and, and delivery and hopefully help make the point that a lot of people think about revenue in terms of new clients and sales and marketing and executives rarely think about activating the customers to drive revenue. I actually think it's just crazy that marketers don't think about customers first when it comes to revenue generation, but they don't. And my hope is that after today, Gene and I will help you think a little bit differently about it. So Gene, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. So good to be with you. Awesome. So Gene, I want to start by uh, letting you give us a little bit of background on you how you ended up here, a little bit about your business. So help us get to know you a little bit better. Sure, absolutely. I've been doing uh, this customer experience work and leading customer experience for over 35 years. Uh, started at Land's End many years ago, reporting to the CEO of, of Land's End, leading their transformation and their growth um, back in the day when when cataloging and Land's End in particular was the essentially the Zappos, the darlings of the marketplace. I then deliberately um, moved to five, four additional industries, Mazda, Coldwell Banker, Allstate, and finally Microsoft, reporting to each CEO's leading their first version um, in many ways of customer experience and holding um, what many think of as a chief customer officer role. This is my fourth book. Um, my other books, two books on the role of the chief customer officer, and then uh, another book called I Love You More Than My Dog about uh, leading customer loyalty. Um, I am a, a coach and consultant leading the C-suite around the world on this work and also the co-founder of the Customer Experience Professionals Association. So this is all I've ever focused on is uh, honoring customers as assets and growing the business. That, that is incredible. You are really an expert in this space, and uh, we are lucky to have you. So thanks for joining us, and I'm sure you're 
your insights are going to be really, really helpful to the listeners here. So let's start at a macro level, and maybe you can tell me a little bit about what you see going on in the world that's affecting the buyer's journey. Obviously, sales and marketing and revenue generation in general, um, obviously the marketing and the sales piece is, is what people focus on, but maybe you can share some of your insights on the ability for companies to activate their customer base with amazing service experiences and how that can help them drive revenue. Sure. So what we, what we call, what we're calling this is customer experience, you know, and, and if I could level set a little bit, the customer service is great and a very, very important part of the customer's journey, but often it's reactive. It's after a problem has happened or whatever we think about the customer service department customer experience is a very deliberate crafting of an end-to-end journey that begins even before you buy, by the way, um, understanding customers' goals and uniting the organization to deliver experiences and memories that customers want to have again, that they tell other people about, and that will prompt them to come back and buy more. And so there's a deliberateness around this to drive behaviors and to earn what I call earn the right to growth. Um, and so I'll stop there to clarify if, if that would make sense. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Um, so what we're finding is typically what happens inside of organizations is for, you know, great intention reasons, everybody's operating inside of a silo, right? You've got marketing operations, sales, and each part of the operation is crafting or, or executing on their KPIs or their tactics to achieve what they need. You know, you either close a sale or get a customer or like you mentioned, get them off the phone or whatever. Um, but what we're finding and what's important is that you start with a shift. And this is an attitude shift, not a dashboard, that customers are the asset of the business. And so if they are truly the asset of your business, then everything you're doing should be wrapped around honoring them, understanding who they are, delivering value to them, and creating, for example, the first stage of the journey shouldn't be about selling, but making them smarter, being a magnet of knowledge and information that draws them to you. So they'll want to learn about what you have to give them with no strings attached, and then eventually consider you as you move forward. And so that for me is really important. And when we're, when we finally make that shift inside of organizations, it changes everything. The starting point of the journey is about the customer's life and their goals, whether it's B2B or B2C. So you're saying that, and I agree completely. And we've talked about this extensively in this podcast season one and in a lot of the other content that square two publishes around not trying to sell, trying to educate, trying to guide, trying to advise, and and using that perspective to become a trusted advisor, if you will. So there's a lot of alignment there between what you're talking about. Now, when we talk to clients, we get a lot of nodding. You know, a lot of it's very easy to to say, "Yep, Gene, that you know, I totally get that. You know, that's the kind of experience I want to have, and that's the kind of experience we want to have for our customers, also." And I almost feel like that's even easier to deliver from a sales and marketing perspective. But sometimes when it comes to an operations perspective or a customer service perspective, really changing the way companies deliver can be huge from a change perspective. And you know, as well as I do, 
people don't really want to change. They're going to kind of rail against what they uh, haven't done before, what's uncomfortable to them. Can you share with us some of the tips or techniques that you use in your practice to get companies to kind of embrace the concept of change and really look at that customer experience from a completely different lens so that they can change that experience? Sure, of course. Again, uh, you know, the, the, the shift that we're making happen in every kind of organization, large and small around the world, is starting with something I, I, we've built around um, with every leadership team called cus- Elevating Customers as Assets. You can just call it customer math because what's happening is we're focusing on, on, on internal met- metrics. Did we make the sales? How long have we been on the call? Um, what are our internal KPIs? How much is that costing us? But at the end of the day, the whole purpose of your journey and everything you do inside of your organization is to grow that asset. And so, Mike, one of the biggest things we're doing, we involve the CEO, the CFO, the leaders of marketing, this becomes a board level metric, is as a result of the experience, and it's got to be, did we as a company, this isn't the sales metric, earn the right to grow? And the magic and the power is doing two things, knowing how many new customers you brought in, volume and value. Now, what that means is defining new, the same across every product category with every leader and also knowing value, potential value. Don't get overcomplicated here, but also Mike using whole numbers. We brought in 37,000 new customers or 200 or 20. It doesn't matter because the math is the power. So what most companies do is, you know this, they put that flag up the flagpole. Well, we brought in this many new customers, hurrah for us. You need to do the math. But in that same month or quarter or year, if we brought in 40,000, we also lost 26,000. And here's the value of those human beings that chose not to stay with us. And here's, as a result, here's our net customer asset growth or loss. Now this Mike, this changes everything because now what you've got for leaders is a clear understanding of a, and this cannot be refuted. Unlike, you know, and I'm a, I I build these out for, for clients around the world in what I call competencies to change the cadence of how leaders lead. But this customer asset metric, you bring in 40,000, but you've lost 26,000 and the value of the 26 you've lost is a lot higher than the ones you've brought in. Here's our net customer asset growth or loss as a whole number because we need people to imagine the humans. And then maybe one or two other behavioral things, Mike, like your top 20% of customers downshifted into, your, into a lower category of customers or of the people you brought into onboard, only 15% completed it. Some behavioral things, because we start with what customers actually did, not what they say they're going to do in surveys. Those come further down the line in transforming a company. But this... I'm telling you, we do this with leaders around the world. This becomes a board-level metric. You can't cross-tab your way out of this. You either brought in more than you lost or you didn't. And it's simple and it's fearless. And when you start sharing it, it changes the whole organization. That's great. So you're saying this one or two simple metrics is what we can use to kind of transform the way people think about that customer experience and how to really start optimizing it to, to drive those numbers. That, that's well, really good advice. Yeah. And it's not metrics. It's the math. It's, yeah. did you grow? It's, this is, this is connecting the ROI of what we did as a company to our growth. 
because customer experience, this is not, you know, kumbaya, this is a growth strategy. And if you don't start the work in defining the experience with, did we ring the money bell? Did we grow or not? Then you're not going to earn the right to do the rest of the hard work that goes from there. The other thing I, I, I do is, and the reason a lot of people use retention rates or percentages, but in those percentages, you lose the humanity. I like people to imagine the human. I'm Italian. This is also a Yiddish word. We want leaders to feel agita, sick in the belly that people walked away or diminished their commitment to you and care about the why. Because when we put these numbers, Mike, only in a dashboard, it's, it's just something we present. It's one, one metric on a PowerPoint slide of many other metrics. It's gotta be an attitude shift of also honoring this is the asset of our business in addition to our employees. That's why we're in business. That's excellent. Thank you for that. So I want to transition a little bit to this concept of our companies being much more transparent today than they used to be and how important the service experience is to that transparency. So we talked to a lot of our clients about, you know, kind of understanding that their businesses are being evaluated and reviewed by their clients much more frequently than in the past. And it has become kind of incumbent upon the the customer service people specifically or the client services people specifically to make sure that everyone is talking about them in a positive way. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how reviews and references and evaluations and those, those, those outside service experience stories that are getting published about companies, even when they're not involved, writing them, sharing them, like how, how can companies leverage this in a more proactive way, as opposed to just sitting back and letting more of the negative stories permeate and not have their positive stories told too. Well, so, so I'm, I'm going to push a little back on, on some of the things that you said. The first thing is that you need to, the work is, is not about trying to diminish the stories, but diminishing the behavior and the actions inside of the co- company that earn those negative stories. So the whole point of customer experience is caring enough to understand across your journey, where is value eroding? Where are you not honoring customers? Where are you making it hard to do business? Where are you not transparent? You know, your contract is so complicated or you're creating gotcha moments. That's what this whole, would you do that to your mother book is all about, um, that it forces them to call you or contact you. The other thing that's important is the middle of the organization and leaders are creating in many ways, and, and inadvertently, the situations that are causing the customer to be frustrated or need help that they call the contact center. So there's a whole layer of work, or they reach out to their salesperson, for example. There's a whole, there's a whole amount of work of customer experience effort that needs to go into place to reduce, reduce the reasons for the call. Now, people are still going to call you because they still need help, and that's where we also need to honor the front line and give them the tools to know the lifetime value of a frontline customer. So to your point, you know, in, in my new book, I say, would you turn your mom's warranty claim down three days out of warranty? Well, you force the front line to do that, earning a negative story. If you don't trust them with the lifetime value of the customer, you give them the screens and the data and you train them to make the call about honoring and elevating that customer's asset and making them a customer rescue artist. So I get why you're asking the question about 
making hay over the great stories versus the negative. Um, and and that, that will happen when you act differently as an organization. Um, but I think it has to start with, are we treating our customers and employees the right way so that we earn the right to those positive stories? Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. But like you, you know as well as I do that someone who has a negative experience is going to be very happy to tell everybody about the That's negative right. experience. And someone That's that has a positive experience almost never tells anybody about the positive experience. And, you know, for businesses that are trying to represent themselves and the good work that they do, there, there has to be a bit of a mindset, in my opinion anyway, about asking somebody to, to tell that positive story. Because again, if we just take a completely reactive perspective on this, we'll end up with a lot of negative stories. And even though there are many, many, many more positive stories, it's not a fair representation. So, you know, you see a lot of companies who are rewarding their customers for a positive review or even incenting them to do a positive review on the front end. And I, I, I honestly feel like, well, I agree with everything you're saying that the experience really has to carry the day. I still think there has to be some element of an understanding around, hey, you know, I'm glad I could help you. I'm glad I could, you know, uh, 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 honor your warranty, even though it was past due. Do you think you'd be so kind as to write a review on Google about me and my, my company? You know, is there anything wrong with that, basically? Well, I, I, again, I, I kind of take issue with the fact that we're calling this reactive because this isn't reactive. Rebuilding, improving the experiences to re reduce the reason why people even call you in the first place will actually prompt the positive reviews. The organizations that do the right thing and take the right actions are earning are earning their are earning the reviews, are earning the accolades, are getting them because they're doing the right thing in the marketplace. So I think if you have to ask, and it's okay asking, but as customers, we're kind of exhausted by people asking for give me a 10 on my survey. Um, so so if it's if it's, I, I think, done in the right way, it's okay. But my whole approach is earn the right, do the right thing. And if you build customer advocates, and this isn't reactive, being deliberate about creating an experience. I know you mentioned Zappos, but there's lots of other organizations that are being transparent with their customers. There's an amazing uh, company called Ovo Energy that has all five-star reviews. I don't think it's because they ask customers. It's because they're so transparent in what they do. They, they have service people who support them. Uh, they're, they're always reliable. And so they earn, they earn those reviews. They're earning them organically because their experience is so far better than everybody else's that their customers just want to give them their review. Well, and, and so far better, quite honestly, doesn't even take that much. Right. You know? I get it. You're absolutely right. The bar is very low. So well, you know, would you give but your... still, it has to be dramatic enough for someone to recognize it and want to talk about it. Well, yeah. You know, and again, just think about how you would feel if you, you know, just the whole point of my book, would you do that to your mother? Think through the mom lens, right? Are, is this something you'd want to be asked? If, if it is, ask it. If it isn't, don't. Got it. Very good. So let's shift gears a little bit. So the, the, we talk a lot about revenue generation. And while keeping our customers happy is, is definitely perfectly aligned with revenue generation and long-term growth. And if you don't have happy customers, obviously you're not growing. 
but I want to talk a little bit from your perspective on what's the best way to start mining the customer base for revenue opportunities without impacting their service experience or making them feel like they're getting sold to? How, how would you suggest we continue to keep their best interest in mind and, and educate them and advise them, but still take advantage of the fact that, you know, they're only buying one thing from us and we have five things that they could be buying. How should we go about thinking about that? Uh, sure. Of course. You know, I, I mean, what's important is if you, w when we do a journey map of a customer's experience, and, and again, I believe it takes a comprehensive understanding of the customer's life and their needs uh, to make this conversation value added to them. And it begins with, you know, re rethinking even what the first stage of the journey is. So, Frequently, we think about it as pitching or selling, but it should really be about that no strings attached information. So let's say that no strings attached information makes them smarter about um, what, whatever it might be. You've got a, a company with five lines of products. And because of the way you started that conversation, they now feel a relationship with you. They feel like you're good people. You presented yourself well. They've bought that first product. Now, the other thing to understand is if you, if you know what their life is and you know the information, you keep the conversation going. You give them relevant value-added information. Um, if they call into you to support you, again, you prove the point that, you know, you may be able to offer them other information, but it's got to be about guiding, helping, supporting, not blatant selling. What we're finding is earning the right to the next sale has got to be about adding value. So let's say that first product that you, they bought from you, they had an issue. Are you really serving and supporting them? And then are you giving them relevant information as they mature? So let's say, let's say they bought a car from you. You've got five different cars or you want to sell them service or support. Um, across their life cycle, are you giving them tips and information on how to care for their car? Are you giving them uh, a, a, an oil checkup or something that brings them back in. What's your magnetic pull back to them that has them continuing to talk to you and keeping you in their mind's eye so, so that they'll be more relevant, you're more relevant for them, and they're more open to buying the next thing in your line or, or they want to continue to do business with you? I think that's a really good point. Uh, to give you a practical example, we have a we have a client that's a fairly large John Deere distributor. And one of the things that we've been able to do with him is, is uh, continue to have ongoing conversations with uh, his clients who, who bought uh, a tractor and, and not continue to sell them other things that they could potentially buy, but to remind them that they should be thinking about getting their tractor serviced and that if they do keep it up to date, from a service perspective, it's going to last longer and run better and, and, and provide a better looking lawn or, or whatever it is they're trying to do with their tractor. And, and eventually, depending on some of their behaviors, we also have some opportunities to introduce them to some add-on products and the advantages of those products, as opposed to just simply sending them a 10% discount or an opportunity to, to save some money because of the season ending sale or some of the traditional salesy things you see, so I, I think that's a really good point in kind of understanding who they are, understanding what they bought, understanding what they might be doing with what they bought, and then continually to, continuing to try to help them 
get as much value out of that product and other products as possible. Would, would that make sense? Yeah, no, it's exactly, it, it, ma- it makes the most sense. And, and again, aren't we all, we're, we're all so sales doubt, you know? Um, when you I take, know I'm sales doubt, that's I for know. sure. When you take an approach that starts with the customer's life and genuinely appears and feels that you're interacting with them uh, and, and want to really help, things are different. You know, it changes things. It changes. It it allows them, they're going to click open that email. They're going to be willing to go in. Um, and again, knowledge, you know, give them a a 10 point check review. If you know, they have kids, make sure you're including their kids safety in it. It's got to be and relevance, right? If you, you can't blanket email people either, you know, you have segments of customers, you have customers with different needs. Um, these have to be very relevant as well. Excellent. That's great. Very good advice. So, you know, we talk a lot about tactics on this podcast and we also talk a lot about metrics and measurement. And you introduced us early on to some new ideas around metrics and measurements from a um, customer service and customer experience perspective that I really like. Uh, But I was wondering if you could talk just for a minute or two about some of the, what you feel about the, maybe some of the more traditional KPIs around customer service, like net promoter score. And you even talked about surveys and the data associated with surveys. So are those things we should maybe be kind of putting out to pasture or is there a place for those, that kind of data along with the value of the customer and the net new number of customers and the net value of our customer base month over month? How do you, how do you position some of those older metrics? I think that, well, and I've got uh, what I talk about and what I build for companies is something I called a, a customer-driven growth engine, which includes getting good at five things. I call them five competencies. But the point of it, and thanks for asking that, is is the survey scores and that kind of listening plays a part in the story. And what we really need to do is make it be about storytelling. So start the story with the money. You got to ring the money bell. As a result of the experience, did we earn the right to grow? Our leaders need to care about the why. But now by stage of the journey, Mike, the power is to collect what often is presented at different times to the organization as a unit by stage of the journey. So here's our complaints from our call centers. You just talked about social media. Um, Here's screenshots of what customers are unhappy about. Here's phone calls, they said. Um, Here's our operational KPIs that show why we're, we're getting those issues. Here's our, here's our verbatims from our net promoter or ease of doing business. And here's our score. Well, no wonder we're getting the feedback we are. But what I just did there is instead of giving a lot of good information at five different times that leaders then go off and cherry pick on their own. And and that's why I call this uh, experience role or, or doing that is like, you're the glue gluing it together by stage of the journey. Let's say your stage three is, delivery of a product. Well, it, it, as a result of the experience we delivered, let me walk you through the delivery experience. Well, we promise it here, but then we deliver it five days after or three days after. Here's what's happening. Here's call center calls. Um, here's our social media. Otherwise, you've got great social media presenting their information and people scurry off and do something about that. You've got great people presenting your call center complaints and people scurry off and do something about that. When you organize it and create balanced listening, now you've got multiple sources probably pointing at the same thing. And you can also, as a, a, a leader, 
focus on the one or two things that matter most versus the 15 things you feel randomized by from all this data? Excellent. Yeah, that's very helpful. Um, you really can get overwhelmed with data and you did a really nice job helping us kind of synthesize what we might be thinking about looking at and, and kind of focusing on a couple of really uh, helpful KPIs. That's excellent. Thanks. So the last thing I want to talk about is technology. And again, you know, we try to kind of marry revenue generation with tactics and metrics and technology so that people can map out their entire, their uh, immersive buyer journey at each of the stages with the appropriate tactics, metrics, and technology. So we hear so much about new software on the revenue side. I'm wondering if you've seen anything interesting um, that helps with the feedback loop or the ongoing collection of client satisfaction or even technology that's helping deliver uh, a, a, a more interesting, more remarkable customer experience that, that people might actually talk about? Well, you th it's a great question. And, you know, what's important is that we balance, you know, this high tech, you know, the pendulum swings, right? The high tech with the high touch. Um, you know, for example, just a, a baseline, um, um, there's a, uh, Danny Meyer, who's a, guru, a service guru and has really led the way in, in restaurants, for example, service and experience and hospitality in general, says, you know, there's two reasons why his people would wear an Apple Watch. One is for the sommelier to know when to go top off somebody's wine. And the other is to know when the valet should pull somebody's car around when they're finishing paying the bill. Um, what we're finding is that intuitiveness that technology helps to bring into the experience will drive this kind of feedback. Again, I'm always about earning it. Um, there's all kinds of technology that's coming, bubbling up around getting feedback. Um, but what, what I'm really, I love is what people are doing to earn the great feedback. There's in my new book, the, the Would You Do That to Your Mother book, for example, there's an amazing um, new insurance company. And we know insurance is tough not to crack. You mentioned transparency earlier. Um, they're, they're a disruptor. They're in New York. They're expanding. And we're going to watch with great interest and glee. But they, their whole um, experience is, uh, is on their, their mobile app. And they have a bot. He's called AI Jim. And what's remarkable about this is the way they price is they just take a percent off the top of your furniture, your house you're going to insure. When you, show, when you then sign up, they ask you for a charity that is your favorite charity because at, after all the, the, the claims are paid out that year, if everybody's honest and transparent, they give to everybody's favorite charity what's left. But then here's what you're gonna love, Mike, is when you file a claim and um, they, they pay many, many of their claims within minutes, you look into AI bot Jim, and here's what I love, it's why it's in the mom book, it's where you were integrating technology, humanity, and conscience. You look into AI bot Jim and you video a an honesty pledge. I promise that the claim I'm giving for this lamp I broke is honest. It's really worth X. I really bought it five years ago. And uh, this is really all I need to feel whole on this. And what, do you love that? Yes, I do. I do. It's going to be very difficult to commit insurance fraud if you're making me record a video that says this actually happened. And, and, what, and what's happening, and their loss ratio has gone way down since they started. Trust given is trust received. 
they had a guy who thought he lost his computer. He must, so he filed a claim and then it was found. He returned the money. So what I, what I love is frequently we're thinking about technology as a way to automate and almost displace the human, but there's a way to, to have both. And I think that when we find that blend that starts with people's values, with, that starts with people's goals, um, and we, we use technology starting with the outcome, it will change everything and it will earn the raves. I mean, people are going crazy. Look it up there. It's amazing. And again, they're a disruptor. You know, we've all got our fingers crossed, but they're, they're starting with some pretty amazing approaches. I do like that. And I imagine they have a much smaller fraud department because again, like people just aren't going to be as comfortable lying in a video that's going to their insurance company as they might be filling out a form on a website. (laughs) Well, and that's the whole point of this. Would you do that to your mother book is that there are companies growing from what I call goodness driven growth across like you, it's a whole, it's all everything that you're about across the customer journey. You could earn, earn the right to growth by, by taking actions that honor people, that don't feel like selling, that add value, and you will grow as a result of it. Yep, very good, Jean. Thank you so much for joining us. Really insightful, very helpful. And if the listeners could take anything from this, um, we, we encourage our clients specifically and the companies that we work with to really, really stretch and work hard to make their businesses remarkable. And Jean has really shared some some interesting practical examples of how some companies who Maybe on the surface, when someone at the meeting suggested, well, let's get our uh, customers to rec- video record their claim. I'm sure a ton of people were like, that's ridiculous. We could never do that. Who's going to do that? But the, someone there had the, had the guts and the foresight to kind of push past that initial resistance and be like, no, we should do this. And here's why we should do this. And here's how it's going to impact our business. And, and it is now creating a conversation, a story. We're talking about it. I'm going to Google them. I'm going to look them up and you know, maybe I would even consider using them to, to handle some of my insurance. So this is really, really helpful stuff that you generally don't get when you think about marketing or sales or even customer service. And you know, it's some of this thinking and stretching and challenging that I think as businesses, we need to do a lot more of. So Gene, again, thank you so much for getting us to think about how we really optimize this ongoing delivery stage. You're very, very welcome. It sometimes feels counterintuitive. And, 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 and that's, again, why we need to give people these case studies that they can evaluate, evaluate their own, own behavior and, and see these new ways to grow. So thanks. It's a pleasure to be with you. No problem. I completely agree. So in our next episode, we're going to wrap up season one. It'll be the last episode. We're going to have a conversation about measurement data and metrics at each stage of the new buyer journey and why that's so important and how it's easier than ever to set up dashboards for each stage of the buyer journey and that you can actually measure the speed at which your revenue generation model is actually spinning. We're gonna be joined by metrics guru and dashboard daddy, Pete Caputa, who's the CEO of Databox. Pete's gonna help us start to map out these dashboards at each stage and help us use data to find the right insights we need to optimize revenue generation. So stay tuned for the next episode and don't miss it for sure. Thanks again, Gene, and everybody, let's go smash your funnel.